Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and we have the honor of having Dr. Mark Secor with us today. Regardless of setting, Mark has always marveled at the ability teachers have to positively impact the lives of their students. A desire to assist students who have experienced difficulty in any aspect of their scholastic experience was the driving force in his teaching and is the central focus of his work as an administrator. His experiences have included time as a special educator in residential settings and separate location special education schools, coupled with stints in Nassau County school districts as a building leader and central office administrator. These experiences have helped solidify his respect for teachers, as well as his desire to preserve their autonomy within the classroom setting. The impact of APPR on teacher practice served as the topic of his recent dissertation. In his current role as Deputy Superintendent at Hewlett Woodmere, much of his work is devoted to supporting the teachers as they develop over time. As a supposed teacher of teachers, he is aware of his own limitations in experience, knowledge, and formal training in many areas such as world languages or elementary education. As such, he has purposely chosen to rely on the professionalism and sincerity of his teachers in much of his decision-making. This has manifested itself in allowing them a greater level of autonomy in their professional learning, including the utilization of the EdCamp model to deliver professional development during two recent superintendent's conference days. So welcome, Dr. Mark Secor. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, great. Well, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, great. So Mark, can you share with us a bit about your leadership journey? Certainly. It has to start with my parents who recognized early, well before I did, that education might be an opportunity for me. My father in particular really stressed to me the relationships I was able to form with younger children as a playground director, as well as my love of literature and social studies. And of course, I told him that there's no money, father, in, in education. So I <laughs> Oh, you rather, told him that? Yes, I did. I said I'd rather become a doctor, and that's the path I want. And father did know best. I fell in love with education. It took me a while in college to figure out which way I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. But once I took my first education class, it, that was it. I knew right hooked. then and there I was absolutely hooked. Fast forward to my first real meaty teaching opportunity at District 75 in Coney Island, Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. uh, high school self-contained class with students with severe emotional and behavioral disabilities. Just a little difficult. A little difficult, but also an amazing place to learn. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't change a thing. 
I had an opportunity to be one of the first hires for John Zulis, my chief mentor on this journey, and uh, watched him try to transform a school that was almost legendary with dysfunction and Mm -hmm. make it into truly an instructional school. And he recognized that engaging students, regardless of history, regardless of academic progress or lack of progress, they want to learn. And working hard with the students and getting them to understand you're sincere and that you're truly there to help them, that really set the stage for all future growth and certainly the work I do with younger educators today. Mm -hmm. I've worked with students that were similar, and one of the things that kind of shifted everything I did was the fact that I learned to value them and everything they brought. So I'm assuming you had the same experiences. Without question. And people determine whether or not you value them very quickly. Mm -hmm. And usually they're spot on. And those lessons learned in the classroom certainly have carried over into administration. You know, still powerful example is making the time for people. And I've seen administrators fail in literally making their way to an important meeting. And there's mm-hmm. always going to be an important meeting. Mm-hmm. But they're stopped along the way and asked a you know, simple question uh, by one of the people they supervise. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people say, I'm just too busy, I can't right now, you'll have to come back to me another time. Whereas I learned that you leave for the meeting five minutes early. And mm-hmm. when someone stops you, and they always will, mm-hmm. you're there for them. You look them in the eye, you give them the time that they feel is important because they have no idea where you're going and they don't care. They want you to assist them so that they can assist students. And I think that's a simple but powerful example. There's people who either get it or Mm -hmm. don't get it. And I remember when I was a high school principal, a math teacher who wasn't very vocal, but he was very popular and very good teacher. And he just stopped me in the hall one day and said, thanks, Mark. Mm -hmm. For what? He's like, you get it. And it was one of the most pleasing moments of my career, as simple as it seems, but you do put so much work into it. And most of it's behind closed doors, Mm -hmm. or at least a lot of it, probably too much of it. Mm -hmm. And everyone's not aware of the Mm -hmm. effort. So when people do recognize it, and certainly you have to try to make the effort to recognize their efforts. And that becomes a very powerful motivator for me. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're certainly someone who walks the talk because I walked in here and absolutely felt valued right away. The fact that you're pouring into our listeners just speaks to that as well. So I wanna really thank you for that. Oh, thank you. (laughs) If we didn't feel strongly about what we do, we shouldn't be doing it, particularly in education. Absolutely. So how would you describe your leadership style? I would say it's very participatory. I value collaboration and trusting relationships. You know, you have to couple that with high expectations Mm -hmm. and certainly for yourself, first and foremost. And that sincerity I spoke of earlier has to be there. You have to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk and making sure that people do feel valued. And whether it be committees with parents, with teachers, with students, or all three, those are opportunities where you have a chance because once you get to a certain level of administration, it's clear that people are coming to you with agendas. And the vast majority of the time, they're purposeful and good agendas. And you have to be able to certainly listen, take what they say, value it, and do your homework. Mm -hmm. and find out if what people are asking for, if there is a true need, and then trying to make it happen. I've always believed all too often that people are told what they want to hear and then become 
a bit calloused when those things don't take place. Mm -hmm. And what I've found in my career is when you revert back to whatever was requested and you put in the work to make it happen, people, they're in your corner. They start mm -hmm. to value you and respect you. And that's, you know, it speaks to integrity. And if mm -hmm. I say I'm going to do something, I intend to do it. And when it doesn't work out, I get frustrated with myself. But you have to turn it around quickly. You can't mm -hmm. have a long-term memory in this mm -hmm. job. You have to try again. When relationships get jarred in some way, you have to rebuild those. Certainly, we have to remember what we're here for. I love how you said you're a participatory leader who focuses on collaborating and building trust or trusting relationships. Now, that's something that all too often is lost. So how do you cultivate trust? You know, they say journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. There's many, many interactions and many opportunities for you to prove where you stand on an issue. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's in crisis. And, you know, whether it be a crisis of our own making or one from external sources, Superstorm Sandy comes to mind. Mm -hmm. uh, people get to see what you're made of when, when you're trying to assist others. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily curriculum or instruction. It's just about being a person and being someone who has an opportunity to lead and should try to help others. So when an event takes place and you do that, people take notice. Right. And they grow to trust. Sure. Yeah. That's great. And you mentioned integrity and how when we lose it, we can restore it. And it's important that we do it quickly. Right. And I mean, you said quickly, but sometimes I think it's not necessarily the case. I think that if there is an erosion of trust, it's hard to build mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. The integrity piece, I think, is incremental. I just think it's huge. I remember a situation with a spouse of a staff member who was trying to work at my school in a different district. Mm -hmm. And there was a question as to pay. And it was a small difference of opinion as to what the pay was. And that person felt I said something different than what I said, or at least what I remember to have said. And I remember the teacher came to me, the spouse of this person. Mark, why are you making a big deal out of this? Mm. Is it because it's my integrity? If someone feels as though I said one thing and did another, that's something I can't let go. Mm -hmm. I have to make sure everyone understands. And so I do think you have to hold your ground. But when mishaps happen in a relationship whether it be with your spouse, right, right. <laughs> student, parent, teacher, it makes no difference. You have to cater to that. You have to follow up after the fact and try to find common ground and rebuild whatever you know impact that had on the relationship. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. Now, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I'd have to say Teddy Roosevelt's The, the Man in the Arena, the concept that it takes guts to put yourself out there. And situations come up where you state a position or stand for something. And it's very easy for people to criticize that. Mm -hmm. But unless you've stood in that arena and opened yourself up to that criticism, it's hard to understand. And I think folks who are investigating whether or not they want to become administrators, you have to be cognizant of that. You have to be ready to be criticized mm -hmm. and be okay with that. I joke with my principals that when you're a principal, you know one thing, and the temperature is always wrong in the building. You'll <laughs> never make everyone happy. And I think that that's absolutely the case. But over time, I also believe that, well, some folks are going to be unhappy with you and you're not always going to be popular. People will respect you over time if they feel you're working hard and doing the right thing the majority of the time. Right. We all make mistakes. Now, you said put yourself out there, and it just reminds me of how it's important also to be vulnerable. Absolutely. I think it's integral to be vulnerable. You have to let people know that you have feelings. You have to respect their feelings. Right. 
And again, it speaks to those moments in time where you stop everything in order to assist someone. And I'm not sure that our preparation programs do a good job. And I don't know that they could, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. But when you're a principal or you know a similar role, people are going to walk in your office and give you horrible news. Right. And it's very difficult to navigate that other than to be there for that person. Unfortunately, too many stories of people walking in to say someone close to them has passed away or other bad news. And I think how you handle that, that's how they see you as a person. I also think that when others are vulnerable, whether it be a student who misbehaved or a staff member who did something he or she should not have, Mm -hmm. you having empathy for that person, even though you're consequencing them for whatever it is that they have done, you go through that journey with them and do your job, but you also have to be there to accept them when they return type of thing. I think some of those situations have strengthened relationships that I've had with students, staff, anyone. Great. So what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I think leaders who are able to bring different types of people together. It's very easy to lead like-minded people, Mm -hmm. but folks who can go beyond that, the Martin Luther King Juniors, the people that are able to bring very different groups together on a higher plane. Certainly with him, it was nonviolent protest. Anyone, again, who can get differing viewpoints to agree on some level a common ground in education right now we are in a very difficult crossroads and And uncertainty so much there's um, no question fear exactly and working with teacher unions on how to comply with state regulations related to teacher evaluation yet preserve what you think is more important in the qualitative side of education Mm -hmm. that's important work And I think that that's where you can get people with different levels or different opinions to work together. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incredibly important, especially right now. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to building a team. So how would you build a team or sustain one? You have to make sure to utilize the Lincoln model. My favorite. Yeah, you have to have people who don't necessarily agree with you that you also know are working for their version of something good, Mm -hmm. even if you don't necessarily agree with them. Because Mm -hmm. if you create a team with just like-minded individuals, you'll serve your own needs well temporarily, but I don't think you'll serve the greater good over time. I learned a valuable lesson when I worked with Nassau Boses, and I worked at a school that did not have a strong reputation, and several staff members were considered to be troublemakers. Mm -hmm. That's why they ended up in that school, and that was the popular lore. And I had to put together a group of staff to put in a positive behavioral intervention. So wait a minute, back up. So from what I understand, most of the people that were in this school were people that were considered troublemakers from other schools and were put in this school? That was what some people felt took place. And I don't know if that's the case or not. I knew that that was the story. Mm -hmm. And frankly, several of the staff members felt that that was the case. And it was actually a great school to work in. What I found was there was a lot of strong opinions and strong wills Mm -hmm. who were very good at what they did. And I was asked to put in PBIS, a behavioral intervention program. And I worked for a year and a half with a committee of people who, at first, as a very young administrator, I found to be difficult. What I realized over time, and it's certainly played out time and time again since then, that you want those folks on the committee or the team or whatever it is to ask the difficult questions, to look under the rocks and 
tell me what is wrong. Mm-hmm. Because absent that, uh, we're just kicking the can down the road. We're not getting anything real done. And it was an incredibly valuable lesson and some people that I very much value. And I don't know if they know how much they assisted me in my administrative wow. growth. And I see the parallels, too. When you started teaching, you started teaching in a very difficult situation. Sure. But once you know how to do that or right. once you learn what you have to learn, you're able to do so much in different right. areas. And the same thing here, um, which speaks to how you lead. So thank you for that information and advice. Speaking of, what's the best advice you've ever received? Play it so straight. Far. Dr. Herb Brown, uh, superintendent of Oceanside School District, where I was a high school principal. It was a very difficult political situation, and it could have easily been manipulated to achieve a favorable outcome. And whenever something's manipulated, that speaks to the integrity piece and the trusting piece. And I remember asking for his advice. He says, Mark, the best advice I could ever give you is play it straight. And the way I internalized that was take the facts in front of you, you know, let them reach the conclusion that they should, but do not play games. Do not try to appease the person who shouldn't be appeased. Do not try to avoid the difficult conversation. Just play it straight. That's great advice. Play it straight. It's short yet very powerful. You have many, many things that come up. And in a position such as mine, a lot of times it's crisis management. And mm-hmm. you look at what the potential outcomes can be, and it can be the full range. And depending upon your behavior, it's going to impact it one way or another. But play it straight, that reverberates in my mind mm-hmm. uh, every time a situation like that comes up. And it- Great. Mark, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Certainly. Similar to the play it straight <laughs> advice I received, I was a beginning high school principal and there was a major controversy related to an after-school activity. Mm-hmm. A locally prominent person's child was not selected to participate. And without going into too many mm-hmm. details, a great deal of pressure was exerted to see if there was a way for this person's child to be mm-hmm. selected. And as the event unfolded, it became clear that if you were to play it straight, the right decision was made and there was a need to resist the outside influence mm-hmm. and pressure and it was a very tenuous time it was a situation that unfolded over several months and when you are a leader a lot of people are sitting back and taking notes and they want to see how you're going to handle a situation and I truly believe the way it was handled although it was a difficult time it gave me a lot of political capital with mm-hmm. the people who I needed the most and that would be you know the teaching staff and the students Right. So a lot of people that listen to the podcast can be up and coming leaders or people that are in positions already as principals. So what was your thought process as you went through that? The process with that situation was difficult in that I attempted to take the perspective of the different stakeholders involved and tried to look at the situation through their eyes. The student, the parent, the students not involved, the staff mm-hmm. members, and trying to take their perspective get to the facts, and then make a recommendation. Mm -hmm. But as a high school principal, you are very much on an island. You know, the buck does stop with you, and you have people who supervise you, but you have to remember that they're also having a great deal of pressure exerted upon them. And so you have to do what is best for your school in the context of your district. So it can get complex. Mm -hmm. But again, the leaders and decision makers around me were very solid Mm -hmm. and very good people. 
and that allowed me to really feel comfortable finally to make, make the decision. right decision mm -hmm. and not just to make the right decision but confidence that it would be upheld right and i can imagine that even as the parent and this may not have been the best outcome for them but the fact that you listen to them sure. that shows that you respect them well the person involved was considered to be a friend and mm -hmm. frankly it did not destroy our relationship and yeah. we've always had pleasant interactions ever since. But mm -hmm. again, you have to take the facts as they are right. and try to allow for context. But you know, the right decision is the right decision at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. you're not always gonna be right yourself, but if right. you feel it's the right decision, then you have to stand behind it. Right. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Um, Mark, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you? Sure. Success I believe I had was coming to meet the needs of people who uh, were dealing with a very difficult situation. Mm. I mentioned earlier, Superstorm Sandy. Mm. And I remember all too well what Oceanside went through with that storm. And 60% of my students were displaced, right. essentially homeless in the aftermath of the storm. And as I surveyed the damage and drove through the neighborhoods and sat watch in front of my high school, remembering my students literally taking all of their possessions and putting them on the curb, it's incredibly powerful, emotional time. Mm -hmm. uh, but the community came together in a way that was absolutely amazing. We transformed the high school into a relief center. Uh, we delivered hot food every day for a few weeks. And every single day, more and more people showed up at the high school to help others, regardless of what situation they were navigating mm -hmm. at home. And my wife was amazing in that she allowed me to sleep at home, but the rest of the time I was at the high school wow. and trying to help. And so many great people mm -hmm. who gave up so much of their time. And, you know, those efforts were certainly well-received and appreciated. As a leader, those are the times when you can make your presence felt in all the right ways and just being there and mm -hmm. trying to help people. They see you as a person, not just a suit. Right. Well, that's powerful because nothing like that has ever happened, at least in our lifetime, right? right? Many people were displaced throughout the island in New York. So thank you for sharing that. So what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? I think it's imperative for new leaders to get out of the echo chamber of people who feel you're doing a good job. You have to look for divergent viewpoints and allow for them. Knowing that you're working hard is one thing, but as often as possible, you have to get to 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet, and take a look at the big picture and reflect. Is the hard work the work that needs to be done? Or is the hard work the busy work, the day-to-day -day tasks right. that are going to bubble up regardless right. of your best effort? And we're so used to working. Exactly. But understanding that, I think, is incredibly important. And also being comfortable with the concept that some folks are going to believe you're wrong and you will have detractors. And you want to give them every opportunity to be a part of your process, but knowing that they exist and being okay with that, I think mm -hmm. is very, very important. You are trying to assist a large number of people, whether it be students, staff, or both, and recognizing that that is a major responsibility will hopefully not allow you to get stuck in the quicksand of the negative. Right. Let me just kind of stay here a little bit because it's important for new leaders to understand this. They're walking into this position. It could be a toxic environment. What's the best advice you can give them for that moment, for that year? 
The number one thing that you can do when you start, I believe, is be present, mm. literally and figuratively. It's the simplest advice, but anyone who is new to a building in a leadership capacity, I, I tell them, be outside every morning. Let the parents know you're there. You're figuratively mm -hmm. taking over the role of parent when the children are dropped off. And just be there and let them see you. And it's also a very nice visual to recognize that so many of the students and parents are doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Because as an administrator, you can get bogged down in the 5% who are vocal and not necessarily the right. best way. And you can really allow that to forge your worldview mm -hmm. of things. But I used to joke around, and whenever I'd have a staff member start to get frustrated, I'd almost make them stand outside with me and watch all of the boys sheepishly give their moms a kiss before they walk into the building. <laughs> the tough and th kids. And then that'd be the coolest <laughs> kid walking down the hall. It was. It was a daily reminder why you do what you do. And regardless of weather, you're right. out there. And, right. you know, and I would not allow meetings to be scheduled at that time or at dismissal. I was going to be out there. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I was complimented for that. Mm -hmm. So it's a simple thing, but I believe it was always a great time to reflect and see folks a little bit differently. Right. And as a parent, seeing that sure. makes me feel my child is safe. Absolutely. absolutely. That's great advice. And for the beginning the administrator, it's just relationships and getting to know people because if you have trusting relationships, if they deem you to be sincere, if they like you, mm -hmm. when you do screw up, and you will, right. <laughs> they'll be much more likely to give you the benefit of the doubt. As long as you are working hard and you are competent, uh, you'll be successful. Okay, great. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you, and what are you learning now? I just finished my doctorate program. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I defended in January and will walk in the ceremony in a few weeks. Awesome. Uh, and I, I'm excited about that. I, it was a goal that I held for a very long time. You persevered. I persevered, correct. And it was interesting because I resisted going for the doctorate for a while because I have three little ones. And now that I've gone through it and they watched me, and they watched how hard I worked. And I think it was a nice example for them. Um, mm -hmm. And balancing all of that was very difficult, but also very rewarding. And I was told prior to the journey of the doctorate that it will change the way you think about things research-wise. And you look at data differently. And I believe that's certainly the case. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to whatever the next journey is learning-wise. I'm hopeful to join a policy fellowship program with Columbia next year that'll allow me to learn that end of the right. education system. So I'll always be eager to take on new tasks. I don't sit still well. I, I start just, to notice that about yeah. leaders in education. Sure. We don't sit still well. This is true. And you spoke about balance. You know, many put in long hours. So how do you maintain balance? I get up ridiculously early. I, it depends, but I've been known to send out emails at 3.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30. Uh -huh. I am definitely a morning person. Uh -huh. It allows me, frankly, to feel as though I've gotten some traction on the day before the school day even starts. Uh -huh. And primary purpose also is, is to make sure I free up the time to be there with my family. Uh -huh. And that's incredibly important to me. And, and 
having a wife who is a teacher is huge. The, the you have the same language. She gets you know. it. She mm -hmm. understands and she allows me to do what I need to. But I've also been very fortunate uh, in Oceanside and here in Hewlett-Woodmere to have supervisors who understand the importance of balance and respect that. Not be so concerned about all the night events because mm -hmm. they recognize that I have night events with my children, whether it be right. the practices, right. the games, or the, you know, their personal events. So I've been blessed with, in that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that that funnels through too to your principles, their balance, right? Without question, I'm really glad you brought that up. I am fearful for the stress that building principles deal with. It's something that I've watched too many. I experienced it myself where mm -hmm. the stress can manifest itself in unhealthy ways mm -hmm. and cause physical harm. And it is difficult. It's hard for people to understand unless they've experienced it that principals are so earnest in what they do mm -hmm. and care so much. So when things go wrong, and again, they will, all too often it's internalized mm -hmm. and that stress can build. And it's important to have a healthy outlet, you know, and mm -hmm. certainly family is one, but it's something we do try to stress throughout our system just right. to make sure that they provide for the time. If they have a situation that comes up, they need to attend to it because if you fall out of balance and we've all been there but that's when the stress can become overwhelming right and it doesn't serve the children it doesn't yeah. serve the schools and the purpose that we set out for but this is a conversation that we can continue to have because i've noticed the same thing and i'm sure, sure many others have as well so um, we need to keep this in the forefront on how to support each other in making sure that we're balanced Absolutely. right because this, the kids are looking to us as well for that so what have you read that our listeners should read and why? I think Good to Great is a great book. Popular book. Yes, it is popular. But it discusses uh, what sets companies apart and what sets organizations apart. And the common thread throughout that is getting the right people to do the right work. And I think that that is great advice. I'm a Michael Fullen groupie. Mm -hmm. So him and Andy Hargrave's books on education and being change leaders in how we meet the needs of school systems. Those are always great, great reads. I also think that you have to take the time to read for pleasure <laughs> as <laughs> yeah. well. And a little bit On of escapism <laughs> is, is a nice thing. But yeah, Peter Drucker, managing a nonprofit mm -hmm. organization, those are all great. I think you have to find the books that speak to you okay. philosophically. And there's little pieces of all of them that I keep with me. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I worked with behavioral students for so long and always look for resources to assist me that when I taught at Brooklyn College classroom management course and they gave me a textbook, I had sort of a knee-jerk reaction to it. I was saying, if I don't like the philosophical approach this textbook takes, this is going to be a real problem. And I found that it was very simpatico with what mm -hmm. I had learned and what I had tried to utilize. And it was a nice reminder that where I was at that time was an accumulation of hundreds of thousands of different interactions and situations mm -hmm. that led me to that point. And some of it research-based, some of it experiential. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those aha moments where mm -hmm. you said, okay, all right. Uh, I can do this. It all makes with sense. This book. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Now, Mark, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Ah, the younger me about leadership. Be patient with others. Mm. Recognize that people are coming to you from different vantage points. 
not everyone feels the same as you and allow for that for those different viewpoints and appreciate the effort because regardless of whether or not you agree with somebody's request the vast majority of the time they're coming from a good place hmm. and being able to work in that and allow for that i think that mm -hmm. that would be good advice to younger mark Right, to think the best of people. Sure, absolutely. First, right? yep. mm -hmm. So is there anything that we haven't addressed that you'd like to share with our listeners? I'm on a kick right now about complexity. And I think that in every forum possible, I think educators have to instruct the different stakeholders, students, parents, policymakers, that we have to do a better job appreciating complexity in education. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of folks who believe they can build better schools and there's a lot of folks who believe that they know what we do and can do it better mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm speaking chiefly to the policymakers, and I don't believe that they have full grasp of the complexity of the fact that in any given school system there are students and teachers who are coming in every day with a full range of experiences good and bad and yet we continue to ask more we typically don't take things away we typically just add right. and we're at a point where it's becoming increasingly difficult to meet the academic needs when there are so many other needs right. and what adolescents are being subjected to in school and out technology as wonderful as the internet is the fact that students have access to everything at such a young age when they're probably not developmentally ready for it it's a dangerous time for that so all of that is incredibly complex and not easily solved, even with the best minds. Having an appreciation of that complexity, I think, is something that people need to better grasp. And so if one of those policymakers are listening, what would you advise them to do to just appreciate the complexity? I think the simplest thing that they can do is make sure that educators are helping craft whatever policy is being worked mm. on. And education doesn't work in a 24-hour soundbite or an election cycle. And when we're quantifying the effectiveness of teachers with snapshot exams, there's something lost. There's something right. broken. And if there were more teachers, and I'll say teachers versus administrators, if there were more teachers at the table, we'd all be better served. Mm -hmm. Great. And, you know, speaking of teachers, I read an article that you wrote about Ed Camp. Oh, yes. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about that? Certainly. Ed Camp, it's really the unconference. I I've, love that. I've prided myself on creating workshops and professional development opportunities that allowed for teacher autonomy. On any educator's bookshelf, there's any number of authors who, for a large fee, will come and speak to your school. Mm -hmm. And many districts will pay $8,000 to whoever wrote the latest book and ask them to come to their auditorium and teach hundreds of teachers uh, for a full day. And that's the easiest way in the world to provide professional development, but it's also ineffective. In any given school, you have any number of teachers who are doing very different things with very different kids. So it's very difficult to have a one-size-fit-all mm -hmm. professional development model. So here in Hewlett-Woodmere, we've been able to really allow for teacher autonomy and making choices as to what workshops to attend. EdCamp takes it a step further. EdCamp allows for people to show up that day and that day decide what they want to learn about. It's not just taking in information, but also sharing information. So if a teacher is well-versed in Google Classroom technology, you know, he or she can volunteer to lead a session in that. 
but none of that is decided until the day of. Oh, and wow. it's an opportunity for us to really meet the needs of the teachers. And what we did that I think is really novel is we gave all of the teachers involved Chromebooks for the day. Mm -hmm. So it achieved several things. It allowed for our teachers who were not that technologically literate to utilize Chromebooks for the first time. Since then, they've used them more. Find out what Chromebooks can do. And what they also did is through Google Docs, all of the participants created collaborative notes. So whether or not you were able to attend a workshop, you would have access after the fact to the notes that were taken mm -hmm. during that workshop. So it was a little crazy, <laughs> very frenetic. How long have you We've been doing We've done it this? twice now. Okay. Uh, we did it last March and then again election day this past year and it was very well received and my simple philosophy is the vast majority of the people are doing the right things for the right, right reasons and if you take that a step further and allow that for them to meet their own needs with professional development that's what EdCamp does and it's a little loose but the Google Docs told me everything I needed to know the participants took down a great deal of notes and they were great they did a lot of work just as an example there was some concerns about the behavior of our youngest middle school students which I'm sure would mm -hmm. happen in any middle school but through the brainstorming that EdCamp provided our social worker at the middle school started doing a push-in pro-social behavioral lessons on a regular basis and I not sure any of that would have happened without EdCamp, but they got together, they discussed for a few hours, what can we do to meet the need and to address this issue? And it came up with a scheduled opportunity for push in pro-social instruction. The results of that have been excellent. So that's just one example, but there's several of people taking that day and coming up with ideas and then putting them into motion. So rather than the top-down approach, the bottom-up better serve the students. So, so was it like conversations that people were having? Certainly. It wasn't a, people volunteered, okay, this is what I'm going to talk about. And if people decide to come into my classroom, I can facilitate that conversation. Exactly, exactly. Wow. And there's no preparation in advance. There's just an opportunity to share. This is something that I would like to discuss. And frankly, whoever facilitates the session, a lot of times just asking the first question, how can we do this better? Right. And whatever the topic is, you get a chance to learn with your colleagues. The thing with education, it's so easily balkanized where, you know, the students walk into the room, we close the door, we do our thing, they walk out, next group comes right. in, and teachers can be lonely. You'll never find a building that thinks they have enough prep time, enough planning time with their colleagues. There's always a need for more. And this allowed for that. As we navigate changes in standards and expectations, we need to try to craft opportunities for colleagues to work with one another. And instead that, it's a model that we like. We need purposeful PD in other areas, so it can't always be that loose, but I think it's one of the tools that we're gonna utilize. What I love about that too is that you trust the professionalism of the teacher, the creativity, and how collectively right. we're smarter than just one person, yes. right? So all of that comes into play. You and have to let go. You have to let go. I had resistance with both major shifts, the shift away from really focused one workshop or three or four workshops to 50. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll have a professional development day at the end of August where I can guarantee there'll be at least 50 workshops offered over the course of the day. 
and teachers will be able to sign up in my learning plan that'll be a little bit more traditional but the fact is they'll be able to pick which workshops they, they go to they'll have choice mm -hmm. and that again respects the okay. educator and that mm -hmm. isn't always the case that's been very well received you know the models sound and now we're trying to improve the quality Mm -hmm. And it's another way to develop teacher leaders. You know, there are so many experts among us and getting them to have the courage on some level to share that with their colleagues. It's a great way to build these emerging teacher mm -hmm. leaders, especially in the area of technology. People have varying levels of comfort mm -hmm. with it. This is a great way to experiment, toy, and, and then bring it back to the classroom. Mm -hmm. Well, great. So, Mark, I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this process. I think you're doing a great service to the field, and I appreciate it greatly. Thank you. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. And although it's been around for centuries, coaching to develop effective leadership skills is fairly new to education and grossly underutilized. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.